this is Pastor Daniel McGee with Connection Church in New York City. Thank you for listening to our church's weekly podcast. We hope God uses this sermon to encourage you and to increase your faith in Him. If you'd like to know more about our church, please check out our website at ConnectionNYC.com or like us on Facebook at ConnectionNYC. Grace and peace be with you. Book of Exodus. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in the commandment for the heart of the people of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Welcome to the house of the Lord tonight. I'm excited to share with you the next installment of our series entitled The Way Forward. And tonight, the big idea is that God comes near. Everybody say that with me real fast. God comes near. I said it too fast for you, didn't I? One more time. God comes near. God is making a move toward his people during the middle of their repeated disobedience, if you've been here the last few weeks, you know that the people of Israel have not been model followers of God, right? They have cursed him. They have wanted him to send them back into slavery because they failed to believe him. They were lacking trust in him. Over and over and over again, we see the people of Israel being caught up in unbelief. And yet, in the midst of their unbelief, we see here, God moving into the neighborhood. Tonight, in the midst of your unbelief, whether it's your unbelief in the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, or the midst of your unbelief that God is actually going to get you out of that never-ending, no uh, dead-end job, or the unbelief that you're never going to get out of that relationship, or you're never going to get into a relationship that you want and that's healthy for you, I want you to know from the beginning that God is coming near. And it's not because I say it or because it happened in Exodus thousands of years ago to people that we have no idea who they are, but it's because of the message of the good news of Jesus Christ that we'll see so clearly throughout this sermon. So we're often tempted to think, though, that God comes near to us when we are obeying him, or he comes near to us when we do the right things, or he comes near to us when we feel like he is near to us. But listen and hear this. God responds to his love for you, not to your repeated attempts to satisfy some feeling or some need in yourself. God responds to his love, and it is for that reason that we can sing that song and know that it's true that we know that God will never let us down because we have let him down, but he's not responding to you. He's responding to himself. You see, God is going to show the people of Israel, and I hope will show you and I tonight, that it doesn't matter if you have unbelief. 
It doesn't matter if you are lacking in faith. God says, I'm going to come near. And when I prove myself to you, I want you to respond by drawing near to me. So um, let's continue this sermon series about the way forward. Uh, The very first thing I want us to see tonight is what happens in that passage right there that Charity just read for us. So if you're taking notes tonight, number one, this point is that God is among us. God is among us. This is a pivotal point in the history of mankind, what we just read right there. God is a a royal deity who decides based on what? Israel's obedience? No. Based on his love for his people to move into their neighborhood. This two-chapter Soliloquy, I invite you, go read it at home tonight. Uh, Just don't do it when you're too tired because you might fall asleep. Because it's just instruction after instruction after instruction after instruction, giving very specific details of how they are to build God's house. But who builds a house? Someone who's moving into the neighborhood. And that's what God's doing. He's this royal deity. And the, the beautiful thing about this passage that I'll read here in a moment is that I want us to see tonight that this is a royal deity who doesn't move into the neighborhood to live near the rich and the privileged like you and I might assume. He he doesn't come near to only the people who have political power or um, economic favor. He doesn't come in only to the gentrified neighborhood. This is a God, a royal deity, who comes near to each person in full He comes near regardless of their status, regardless of their involvement in the giving of the offerings. He comes near while the rich wouldn't even mix. uh, He comes near in a way that is unique because while the rich wouldn't mix with the poor, this royal deity comes to unite the rich and the poor. Listen to this. Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 through 9. Here's where we get this. The Lord says to Moses in verse 2, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. For every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. We'll talk about the importance of that verse in a moment. But first this, verse 3, and this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones, and stones for setting, for the ephod, and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary, or dwelling place, that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all of its furniture, so you shall make it. God says, build me a house. And he says it in a way that is surprising to Israel, but you and I could miss if we don't look deeply. This is where God is making very clear that he is a royal divine entity who doesn't move in and live in the rich neighborhood. How do you say that? Listen, he asks for some items, right? Gold, silver, and bronze, Blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. Don't those sound like the things of royalty? That's because they are. He's asking, 
in that moment for the people who have wealth and abundance to give. Now, um, if you were here maybe four or five weeks ago, you might remember that when the people of God were still in Egypt, at some point, God tells them, hey, go to the people who are your masters and ask them for their gold and their silver jewelry. You guys remember that? And so they did. They obeyed. They went, and what happened? Their Egyptian masters gave them in abundance gold and silver jewelry. Now, what do slaves about to wander around in the wilderness and cross the Red Sea need with a bunch of heavy gold and silver and bronze? See, God knew the way forward when the people of Israel were still stuck in the past. And God knows the way forward for you. So he might be preparing something for you right now with things that he is giving you, and you don't know what they're going to look like in the future, but he knows. And so the people of Israel obeyed with faith, and they asked that audacious thing of their masters, can we have your jewelry? (laughs) They didn't know why, but God knew why. It's because he was going to take up residence among them, and he needed it for them to build his tabernacle, his sanctuary, his house. So he asks from the rich. And we learn from that that no matter what um, is going on in our lives right now, one of the ways we can have faith that God is moving us forward is that the people of Israel had no, no idea and no reason to ask for these things. But God had a plan to use them, and God has a plan to use the things in your life that you are confused about. But the next thing he asks for is what would have the Israelites say, Huh? He asks for some things that rich people don't keep around very often back then. Goat's hair, tanned ram's skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for lamps, spices, and the anointing oil for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for settings, and the ephod for the breastpiece. He asks for the things of royalty, and he asks for the things of poverty. You know what he's saying? I want to use every single person among my people. I'm not moving into town for the rich. I'm not moving into town for the poor. I'm moving into town for all. And in order for me to move in, it's going to take a sacrifice from everyone. Everyone has to make a sacrifice. Whether you feel like you can afford the sacrifice or not. It's going to take a sacrifice. And I want us to see tonight that your involvement in God's kingdom is not measured by your status or your checking account balance or your credit card debt, but by your willing heart to give all that he asks with joy. Look in verse 2. I said we'd come back to this. He says, speak to the people of Israel that they may take from me a contribution. He says, from every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. It is a privilege to give an offering to God, a contribution, a tithe, money or things or time. It's a privilege. God doesn't need our gifts. God could have snapped and made the tabernacle appear exactly to his specifications, which are quite specific. He doesn't need the offerings. He wants them. It's a privilege to give. And if we, as the people of God, downgrade this privilege to a tax or an obligation, 
or some heavy burden, then we, uh, sorry, then God will not receive it. He can make what he needs for himself. He would rather do without our gifts altogether than we give them with impure motives. God wants our gifts. For the poor in the room, he wants your gifts. For the rich in the room, he wants your gifts. And for probably 90% of the room who feels like they're right there in the middle, he wants your gifts. But the key is not the money or the things or the time that he's requiring of you. The key is the heart in the matter. God wants a cheerful giver. He says, I want you to see this as a privilege. I want you to come desiring to give to me because when you desire to give to me, you are understanding the point of all of this. It's that I'm moving into the neighborhood and I want to use you to build my house. God would rather do without your gifts than we give them with, pure, with impure motives. Another thing we need to see here is that there is an order about which God comes to be among us. Remember, the point right here is that God is among us. There's an order that he comes to be among us. God comes when we first bring ourselves and we secondly bring our gifts. Do you understand the difference? You see, for most of us, especially in the culture that we live today, it is an excruciating ask to ask you for money or to ask us for things over time. But it is even more difficult, and we'll talk about this in a little while when we talk about friendship and community, but it's even more difficult for me to ask for you to give yourself. And God says, put these in the right order. I want you to come to me first with yourself. And next, I'll tell you what I want you to give. So we need to make sure that in our heart, this order is correct. God comes to be among us when we come to him with our whole selves and we say, God, what is it that I have that you want to use? The order is important. So this tabernacle is God, like I said, moving into the neighborhood. He's moving into the lives of the people of Israel, the Israelites, No longer will he meet only with Moses on a high mountain, or no longer will he meet only, uh, lead them only by cloud and fire. Now he will come and dwell among them, among all of them, with equity. And not only is God among us, but here in this next passage we see that there is more to the steps that he is taking. Exodus 25, verse 22. The word of God says this. There, in the sanctuary you will build, there I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you all about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. You see, God is not only among us, Excuse me, but we see here that God is with us. Number two, God is with us. The tabernacle that they are about to build in Israel is a shadow. It's a shadow of Jesus Christ himself. As the course of history progressed, 
The priests would offer sacrifices for sin time and time again, and they were never able to secure salvation by that sacrifice. They would follow the law of the Lord, but the people kept sinning, and the sacrifices kept coming up short. We hear David cry out about this, right? He says, God, we keep doing all these sacrifices over and over again. This great king who had sin and who had a heart, a man, he was a man after God's own heart says, but God, I know that you don't delight in sacrifice. You delight in a broken and a humble heart before your name. You see, the priests would offer for sacrifices for sin time and time again, but they could never secure the salvation that Israel needed. Jesus Christ came and didn't just dwell among us, but he came and dwelt with us. What's the difference between being among someone and with them? Lindsay and I were listening to a podcast on the way home from um, apple picking with the kids earlier this weekend, and we were listening to an interview with a man named Bob Goff, who I had heard about recently, and he was then on this podcast. And he was talking about the difference in friends that he has. So this, this man, Bob, apparently uh, writes books. I guess they're kind of famous. I don't know if any of you ever heard of him. I hadn't until this week. But he does something really unique. He puts his personal cell phone number in the back of all of his books. And the interviewer asked him, why do you do that? And then uh, his wife wrote a book as well, and she's a little more shy, he was saying in the podcast, and he said uh, she wanted to have the same type of message, so she put my phone number in the back of her book too. (laughs) He said he gets about 100 calls a day, and that book has been out for over five years. But when he asked, they, they asked, why do you do that? He said, because there's difference in being able to know someone and being able to know someone is available for you. He said, I have plenty of friends who I call who don't pick up the phone. It doesn't make them not my friend, but it makes them not an available friend. He said, I think that what a lot of people need is someone in their life to be available for them. They just feel so lonely and so brokenhearted that there's no one that they can go to who they know will be sitting there with open ears, not with distraction, but with open ears to look them in the eyes and not with advice, but just to listen and to care for them, to ask questions instead of making comments. And I think Bob was on to something that he knows as well that God has figured out. God knew this. That's why he didn't just move into the neighborhood and set up his house, right? He opened the house up. He said, hey, I'm going to put this house here and then There's going to be this really thick curtain, and behind the curtain will dwell the Ark of the Testimony, and I will be there. And then he gave specific instructions later on, which Daniel will preach about in the next coming weeks. And those specific instructions detailed how they would get access to that, right? So he didn't have a cell phone number like Bob Goff does, but God gave ways for the people of Israel to have access to him because he knew that what the people of Israel needed in this time was to know not that God was just among them, but that he was available to them. This royal divine being who parted the Red Sea and you and your children walked across on dry ground is not a big guy in the, in the skies, in the clouds anymore. He's moved to the neighborhood and he said, I'm available to you. Oh, what a difference it is to say, not just that we're friends, but that I'm available to you. 
And I wonder, in our busy lives, going from one thing to the next, to the work, to the party, I was with someone last night who had a birthday party, a a, a citizenship party, and then a birthday party, and then at 9.30 they left for another birthday party in Brooklyn. Melanie gets mad props of friendship for that. To leave a story at 9.30 to go to a birthday party in Brooklyn via mass transit, that's quite available. You see, but in our busy lives, I wonder, how available are we to the people around us? How available are you to your friends, your, your brothers and sisters next to you, your Christian friends, but also to those people who you know are hopeless and don't have Christ? And even though they put on a good uh, suit and they look like they have it all together, you can tell and you know because they don't know Jesus that they have hopelessness in their heart. They are seeking for something. How available are you to them? It's a question during our response time we should each wrestle with. God has come to be among us and to be with us. And we are called to be among us our neighbors, but also to be with them, to be available for them. When you are with someone, you are making yourself available to them. So I'm thinking maybe we ask the wrong questions in our relationships. Instead of living like we are asking people what they can do for us, right? Don't we do that so often? Whether we physically ask people what they can do for us or not, We live with a posture of, what can this person do for me? I mean, in fact, we even start and stop friendships based on what they are giving to us. We start and stop going to churches based on how much we are getting fed by them. We start and stop jobs based on how fulfilled we are at the job. We start and stop tweeting at the MTA based on how they are feeding us with good transit. Nobody would ride the MTA if we actually stopped, though. (laughs) You see, maybe we're asking the wrong question. Maybe we're not supposed to ask, what can I get from these people? What if we're supposed to ask what God asked here? Well, how can I serve them? How can I be available to them? How can I be with them? To be with our neighbors, coworkers, spouses, children, and enemies is to be serving them. This is not a big question you have to go home and wrestle with tonight. This is not one you have to wrestle with at at response. You can wrestle with whether or not you are available, and we should. But then once we decide if we're not available, the next step is very simple. How do you be available to your friends? You start serving them instead of asking them to serve you. It's very simple. Instead of only receiving texts from people, you start sending some texts to people, asking them how they're doing. When someone says something to you at work that that they're struggling with or that is an issue that they have, You step out in faith with boldness and say, do you mind if I pray for you about that? I know you might be coming out of the closet as a Christian in that moment, but listen, people want to know that you are available for them. And if you can do that by saying that you're going to make that request available to the royal, divine God who has come and made himself available to you, what a powerful statement, a witness, a testimony of your belief in God. So let's ask different questions. Let's stop asking people what they can do for us and let's start asking how we can serve them just like God has done for us. This entering into the people of Israel had its limits for the people. 
It had limits that we don't have, though. You see, God was moving into the neighborhood, and he even built himself a house there, or he had Israel build them a house there, him a house there. He built the house to be with them, but read with me a little bit about the limitations that this house had. Exodus chapter 26, verses 31 through 33. Word of God says this, And you shall make a veil, that's what I talked about a moment ago, a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and of fine twined linen. It shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. And you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia, overlaid with gold and hooks of gold, and four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps, and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil. And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. You see, God moved into Israel. He moved into the neighborhood, but Israel's sin was ultimately keeping them separated from their father. This veil was an indicator that although God was in the neighborhood, there was something separating the people of Israel from God that had to be overcome in order for there to be full access to all of the holiness contained within this royal being. And it wasn't until Christ came, the one who was the Son of God, the long-sought-after Savior Messiah named Jesus, it wasn't until Jesus stepped onto the scene that God came to dwell in us. And that's point number three. God is in us. So one, God is among us. Two, he is with us. You see the differences between those, being among someone, then being with them, having access. And now Jesus steps onto the scene and he shows us that God is in us. <clears throat> There's a great English preacher named Charles Spurgeon who I got to go to uh, a few months ago, the church where he preached his many, many thousands of famous sermons. And he had something very uh, poignant to say on this topic about God in us. Listen to what he says as I quote Charles Spurgeon. He says, I know there are a great many fishermen here this morning. Are there a great many fishermen here this evening? No. Uh, I promise it still works, though. Listen. When you are out at sea, you like to know that there are plenty of fish in the sea all around your boats. It's a fine thing to get in among the great shoals of fish. Yes, but there is one thing better than that. Fish in the sea are good, but fish in the boat are the fish for you. Once you get them in the net, or better still, safe into the vessel, you are glad. Now, Christ in heaven, Christ free to poor sinners, is precious. But Christ, here in the heart, is most precious of all. Here is the marrow and the fatness. Christ on board the vessel brings safety and calm. Christ in your house. Christ in your heart. Christ in you. That is the cream of the matter. The honey in the honeycomb. Doesn't that make your soul rest? Believe it or not, I can actually see it on your faces. The difference in when I was preaching a moment ago, and after hearing that, 
Christ in your house, in you. That's the honey in the honeycomb. Sure, having him with you brings safety and security. But the icing on the cake, as it were, is having him in you. Today we might say something like this. I know there are many single people in the room who desire marriage. Being on a dating app with tens of thousands of local single people is good. But the third date with someone you have good chemistry with is the honey and the honeycomb. Even better still, giving yourself to them in covenant marriage is the most precious of all. We think of $1 million or $1.6 billion like the lottery is right now. We think of that figure differently when it's in our bank account than if it's just in the bank we go to. It's the same amount of money, but you think about it a lot differently, don't you? Seeing your friends reconcile with an enemy is sweet, but laying down your pride and being joined in friendship with someone you once hated is sweeter still. It is certainly a fine thing to see and smell a high-quality, locally-sourced, grass-fed, organic slab of beef sizzling in full fat, salted, whipped butter in a cast-iron skillet. Mm. I feel like even the vegans could maybe appreciate that description. Just replace it with tofu. That's, I understand. But it is greater still to have that beautiful blessing of beef be brought to your place at the table rather than just seeing and smelling it and hearing the words from that waiter or waitress, bon appetit. Mmm. Do you understand the difference about God being among us and with us and actually in us? You see, the difference is when God moved in the neighborhood and lived among the people, there were these rules. There were these boundaries set up. There was even a place called the holy place and another place called the most holy place. And see, most of us in this room, unless you were of the tribe of Levi, would never even see those places. So he was among them. And then yearly, with the threat of death, the high priest could enter into, so he was with them, with these strict rules. He could enter into the Holy of Holies to make sacrifice. They actually would tie something to the foot of the high priest in case he didn't confess or wash correctly and he was killed in the presence of God so they could pull him out. See, there's a difference between God being among us and with us and what you and I have today. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which we'll celebrate in just a moment in communion, because of that sacrifice, God is not just among you or with you. He is in you. And it's the difference between having a sea full of fish and a boat full of fish and a mouth and a belly full of fish. So as the musicians come and we wind down to a close, I want to invite us into a time of questioning 
You see, it is good that God will never let us down. Those words that we sang could not be any more true. But I want to know what it's like for you and I to look at the people who we are among and we are with and only ask for what they can do for us and see what it would be like if we would transform that thinking. Instead of asking from them, we would be offering ourselves to them because, church, when Christ is in you, you become the pillar of holiness, of righteousness, the lighthouse for your unbelieving friends and neighbors. When he is in you, you become the beacon of hope. You become the salt on the top of that stake. You see, a stake is a good thing. It's good for you to be in your neighborhood. It's good for you to be a Christian. But a bland piece of beef to your neighbors doesn't fill the heart with gladness like one coated with the right amount of salt. And church, you and I are that salt. We have moved into the neighborhood, but I wonder, what is stopping us from moving into, to being available for our neighbors and our friends and our enemy? What is stopping you? Maybe you're here tonight and at the beginning of the sermon when we're talking about God being available to all, you were burdened because either because of your poverty, you feel like you've never been able to look the right way to get access to God like some can. And you need to hear that God says, hey, are you willing? Will you come to me? Bring me your goat's hair. Bring me that tanned hide. I have something that I've been working in your life for years and I want to use it, but you got to come to me willing. Maybe you're here and, and money is not a problem for you. And you're saying, God, I have all of these things to give you. Which ones do you want? And he's whispering in your ear. You're missing the point. Forget the things. I want you. I want you to come to me. I want you to offer yourself to me. Be willing to let me transform you. And then I'll show you where to put the gold and the silver. And trust me, I know the way forward. I got you that job you didn't deserve years and years and years ago for a reason. That reason is to build up my kingdom. That reason is to bring hope to your neighbors. That reason is to sow into the church so the church can love the community. Maybe just spiritually speaking, we all need to acknowledge our poverty. You see, the, the, the real beauty of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came. He left his among us and his with us, and he came to dwell in you, and he did it because he loves you. And it seems like there's a lot of messages in your life and my life right now that would have you to believe that there's not anyone that loves you. Maybe at least not outside your close relationships with the people you love. That the world is against you and your job is against you and your family is against you and God wants to look at you and say, listen, I am for you. I will never leave you or forsake you. 
I've moved in. I'm right among you. Maybe God is saying this to you tonight. I am here with you, but open up. Let me come inside of you and show you the things that I have been working in you to be used for my glory. The reason you keep banging your head against the wall is because you're trying to use the things that God has given you for your own glory. I'm excited to hear how God challenges us to take our next step. Our next step in faith, not knowing. That's the point of faith, right? That we don't really know what's going to happen. But God is calling you out into the choppy waters. He's saying, focus your eyes on me. I'm among you. I'm with you. And I'm in you. Trust me. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the the gift of your presence. Lord, we have sung about it tonight. The air that we breathe is your holy presence living in us. Would we taste your presence as clearly as we breathe the oxygen in this room right now so we can look to you and know that you are good. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.